water and give me my microphone. That would be great. Second Timothy chapter three in your Bibles tonight. take the back to the basics uh, theme and we're going to go a different direction than we've gone all year tonight and it's going to launch us into a series of sermons that I think will um, if you have the if you have any spiritual maturity about you you will greatly appreciate what where we're going with this Um, let me just say as a disclaimer I uh, pinned down these sermons uh, to preach these sermons on these dates last fall and so um Sometimes I think people wonder if the pastor is picking on them or uh, has uh, chosen to preach a sermon on a reactionary basis. Let me just assure you that uh, I plan my preaching out a long, long, long time in advance. And uh, I am not the, the type of pastor that's a headhunter. I don't um, say, oh, such and such said this to me, or I saw such and such act this way. I'm writing a sermon on that. That's not my style. I know pastors that do that. I'm not that kind of guy, and uh, that's not necessarily my style. So, uh, But I think the sermons will be an encouragement to everyone, and tonight's sermon is meant to set up uh, the rest of this uh, mini-series within the Back to the Basic series. Before we get going there, let me just remind you, uh, be, uh, get on board of the program of our church. Amen? We do things here that uh, are for the whole family, and the purpose of it is to help you to fellowship with your siblings in Christ. And the programs of the church are only as effective as the church buys into them. And so uh, we put a lot of time and effort into making those uh, work. And so, ladies, there's a retreat coming up for you. You can sign up for that and uh, be a part of that uh, coming up. And then uh, there's the uh, Be Real. Real is an acrostic. I can't remember what it stands for, but it has something to do with being authentic. Um, There's a whole bunch of R-E-A-L. But anyway, um, you, you can see my wife. She can probably tell you what that is. Maybe, uh, but um, uh, they have that coming up this um, uh, Thursday, and so get involved in that. We have Little League Soccer you can sign up for for kindergarten and sixth grade. Encourage you to be part of that. Uh, again, the soul winning on Tuesdays and Saturdays. You say, well, I'm terrified to approach a complete stranger and talk to them. Well, we'll put you with someone who's confident, and you can just go and be silent support. But get involved in that and uh, do the work of the church. Get involved. Be a part of it. The fellowship of the brethren, the furtherance of the gospel, and the fullness of the spirit. Let's uh, carry forth those uh, and uh, be as involved as possible. For any of those things that we got going on, you can sign up uh, after church in the lobby and uh, get involved. Let's stand tonight for the reading of God's Word. Second Timothy chapter 3. And we'll be in uh, verses 16 and 17. I tell you what, real quick, can you turn over to Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 8 as well? We're going to look at both of those uh, verses here. Second Timothy 3, 16, and then Proverbs Chapter 9, verse 8. Once you get to Proverbs, turn back over to 2 Timothy and just hold your place there in Proverbs. Give everybody a minute to find that. On a side note, you one of, the, one of the hardest things I had to learn about preaching is finding things to say while people are looking for a passage. That, uh, that's an art all by itself. 2 Timothy 3. Look at verse 16. All Scripture is given... By inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished 
unto all good works. These have been the verses that have been displayed as our background all year long. And so uh, we've spent quite a bit of time looking at the four doctrines. Tonight we're going to look at that second one there for reproof. Turn over to uh, Proverbs chapter 9 and verse number 8. It says there, reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Or, if you reprove a scorner, that scorner will hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Can we read that verse out loud together? Proverbs 9, 8, ready? Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Tonight's sermon and the name of this series is Learning to Love Reproof. Learning to love reproof. Let's pray. God, I ask tonight that you would help us as we dive into this topic. Um, Lord, being told that we're wrong or being told that we need change, being corrected, regardless of how it's given, it goes against our very nature. And so, Lord, as we study this tonight, I pray that all of us would do a true heart examination. We would make a determination that we're going to embrace reproof. And Lord, even grow to a place where we can embrace rebuke. And so, Lord, we can be better for that. And then, Lord, over the next several weeks on Sunday nights, we'll be preaching some reproof-type sermons as you have led. And so help us to have an open heart so that we can be corrected, so we can be better uh, in our walk with you. We can be wiser in the way we live. And Lord, all of the wonderful things that come along with heeding to rebuke that we'll cover tonight can uh, be evidenced of us or be evidenced in our lives. So move in our hearts tonight, Lord. I pray that the sermon would make sense. Lord, do a great work in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Our theme this year is what? What is it? Back to the basics. Um, Our hope is that we are able to get back to the basics uh, of what God's Word teaches, both of what God's Word teaches us that we are to know, and back to the basics of what we are or how we are to live. So not only what to know, but how to live. Now, uh, four things God's Word does. These will be up on the screen here for us. Four things God's Word does. The first one, doctrine, it teaches us what is right. Doctrine teaches us what is right. Reproof shows us when we're wrong. Reproof shows us when we are wrong. Uh, Correction tells us how to get right, and uh, instruction tells us how to stay right. So there are the four things mentioned that Scripture is to do out of Second Timothy 3. It is to uh, teach us what is right. It is to show us when we are wrong. It is to tell us how to get right. And it is to tell us how to stay right. Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. We have spent a lot of time this year looking at the first of those four. Uh, on Sunday mornings, we have looked in depth at these doctrines or teachings of the Bible. We've looked at the doctrine of the Bible. We've looked at the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of end-time events, the doctrines of heaven and hell. And this morning we began the doctrine of Jesus Christ. 
On Sunday evenings, we spent quite a bit of time this year looking at the doctrine of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. I hope that for many of you, these sermons have equipped you with the truth. How many of you can say that somewhere along the way, this calendar year, you have learned something about the Bible that you did not know prior to 2018? Would you hold up your hand? You've learned something about the Bible. Uh, the, the John 17, 17 tells us this, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Uh, what this has been, White Oak Baptist Church, is this has been a corporate bath in the bathtub of truth. A corporate shower in the shower of truth. We've washed off uh, what we haven't known. We've allowed the truth to wash away uh, the sin, to be that solvent that carries away the solute of sin and to wash us down and to make us clean. And you can't uh, ha- uh, know how to do right unless you know truth. Another way to say that is knowing the truth enables us to carry the sword. But the question remains, are you using the sword? Now, we know that this is the Word of God. The Word of God is Hebrews 4.12, quick and more powerful than any two-edged sword, right? Uh, uh, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, we're to carry the, the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, the Word of God is that sword. Now, you know the truth, that means you're holding the sword. But what good is a sword if it's resting in your hand and not being used in warfare? It's not just enough to know the truth. Some of you have been going to church here for 20 or 30 years. Others of you have been around the Bible or around truth for even longer than that. You know the truth. But are you wielding the sword in the battle day in and day out? We need doctrine to teach us what is right. Just as important, we need reproof to show us when we are wrong. We need reproof. Reproof is a big, 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 big part of life. What does that word reproof mean? Uh, Can you put that uh, next slide up there for me? Reproof means to criticize or correct, especially gently. To criticize or correct, especially gently. I did not make up that definition. I got that out of the dictionary. Now, that ending, especially gently, that differentiates reproof from rebuke. You know what rebuke is? It's to criticize or correct harshly. So reproof is done in a gentle way. And rebuke is done in a not-so-gentle way. Now, I uh, took this a step further, and uh, in my studies, I broke down the word reproof into its prefix and then its root word. So, uh, throw the next slide up there for me, if you would. That word re, or rather the prefix re, means again, or in some cases it means again and again. Or in other cases, it means back or backwards. Uh, I believe in the sense of reproof, uh, the, the definition we run with is again and again. Throw the definition for proof up there. The first definition, there's like 15 definitions for proof, okay? But the ones I, I uh, feel as though line up with the, the, the total word reproof. The act of testing or making trial of anything. Test. Trial. Throw the second definition up there. 
state of having been tested or approved. Now, don't let me lose you here, all right? I don't want anybody to fall asleep on me or to check out because this is going to lay the groundwork for the rest of the sermon. So what does reproof mean? If re means again or again and again, and proof means the act of testing or making trial of anything, test trial state of having been tested or approved, then to uh, to garner reproof or to be reproved is the act of testing again and again. Or it is the act of putting on trial again and again, or the state of having been tested or approved again and again and again. The book of Proverbs, uh, uh, in the book of Proverbs, Solomon talks a lot about reproof for his son. In fact, it's a term, it's a theme throughout the book. It's talked about over and over and over and over and over again. And to try to cram all of the verses about reproof from Proverbs into one sermon is extremely difficult to do. And I'm going to have to talk real fast to try to get through all of it here. Um, but in this book of Proverbs, Solomon reminds us, reminds his son that on a regular basis, he is to embrace it. He is to learn to love it. And he is to learn to like it and enjoy it. When reproof is given to him, someone corrects him, someone shows him that he's wrong uh, or shows him that he might be wrong or calls him in to correct him, he is to be grateful for it. Now, I have been both reproved and rebuked many, many times in my life. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I, I generally did not enjoy these times. I'm going to I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes versions of just a few instances where I've been reproved or rebuked in my life. When I was uh, 13 years old, I went on a um, 13 or 14 years old. I went on a trip, a youth conference trip with my youth group. Aaron Tuttle was my youth pastor. I don't know where Aaron is today or what he's doing, but Mr. Tuttle, we called him, was the uh, youth pastor. And Mr. Tuttle took us uh, to Carowinds Amusement Park. I'm curious, has anybody here ever been to Carowinds? Amusement park. Oh, we got a couple over here. How many didn't even never even heard of Carowinds Amusement Park? Uh, it, it's it's similar to like a Six Flags setup. And you know the youth pastor got us all in the van and he gave us this speech. You know, stay. He put us in groups, younger teens with the older teens, and stay with your group. This, that, and the other. And uh, you know, he he did what any good youth pastor would do, and he he threatened us within an inch of our life if we didn't follow the rules and and all that kind of thing. And so we got into the amusement park, and uh, it was an all day ordeal. And there was a particular ride that I wanted to ride, but nobody else in my group wanted to ride that ride. And so I was uh, I was in junior high at the time. And so I said to the, uh, the, the upperclassman, I said, I really want to ride that ride. He said, well, hey, go get in line, ride the ride, and we'll wait for you uh, for when you get off. Well, I got in line. It was maybe a 20, 30-minute wait. I got off the ride, and my group was nowhere to be found. So I wandered the next couple of hours through, through the amusement park by myself, which I didn't feel was a problem. I felt safe. I, you know, carried myself in a confident way, and... Um, you know, I, I was good, but my youth pastor came across me, and boy, he lit me up. I'm going to side with rebuke on this one. He read me the riot act. He put me on some sort of punishment and probation the rest of the trip. I had to leave the room I was staying in and stay in his room, and he snored, and it was bad. And it put me in a bad spirit the rest of the time because I did not like being told that I was wrong. 
When I was a senior in high school, uh, I was on the yearbook staff. I'm curious how many of you here ever worked on a yearbook staff. Would you raise your hand? You've helped put a yearbook together? All right, we are the elite nerds in the room, all right? Uh, and this was back before uh, computers did it all. And so we were, we were piecing together collage pages by cutting out pictures and, you know, all that kind of thing. And our, our yearbook was black and white. So we would do this on Wednesdays in between the time school let out and the time that church started. I went to a, a church school. And so I was up there with the other six or seven uh, on the yearbook staff working on this. And our youth pastor walked by. This is another church. His name was uh, uh, Brother Montoro. And he was very intent on being called Brother Montoro. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't uh, anything but Brother Montoro. Well, and he had made that abundantly clear. I want to make sure I state that up front. Brother Montoro came walking by the room, and I said to him as he walked by, Hey, Brother Jim, good to see you. Ooh, big mistake. Brother Jim got about three steps past the door. He came back and he stood in the door frame. And if you, Brother Montoro did our, uh, was one of the speakers at our Sunday school conference. If you know him, he's muscle bound. He's so big in his arms, he can't pull his arms all the way in. And, uh, he, he, I think he spent a couple hours at the gym every day. And he came back to the door frame and his face was blood red. And he looked at me and he said, Richard, in my office now. And boy, I got scarred. Um, I followed him down to his office, and he put his finger into my chest, and he said, it, uh, you have been acting in a way that is on the edge and loose and disrespectful lately. He said, it's not Brother Jim, it's Brother Montoro. Do I make myself clear? And I said, yes, sir. And... Um, um, I was reprimanded slash rebuked. Uh, Those two instances would be about rebuke. Let me give you one that was more reproof. My parents moved us from uh, Alabama, where Mr. Tuttle was my youth pastor, to Maryland, where Brother Montour became my youth pastor. And my parents came home one day and said, we're moving to uh, Maryland. And I was heartbroken over it. I loved the church in Alabama uh, a lot and uh, felt like I fit there very well in the youth group and, and I was growing in the Lord there, uh, at least I thought I was. And so my dad told me we were moving to Maryland. I was heartbroken over that decision. I was going into my junior year of high school and so to up and switch in the middle of high school was, was very tough. And my dad told us in the movie, he said, listen, we, we line up with the church doctrinally and we line up with the church philosophically, but there's one area where our family standards are higher than the church's standards in that area is music. This church used a lot of canned uh, music. There was a drum backbeat in that, and our family didn't listen to that. My family still does not listen to that. I don't personally listen to that. And uh, that's not uh, really the point. I'm not trying to get into whether or not that's right or wrong tonight. Uh, but um, that church used that type of music then. It's gone completely contemporary now, but uh, used that then, and it was there, but it wasn't overbearing. And so uh, sometimes people would sing uh, a special based off the piano, and other times music would play over the speakers, and uh, the, the music would be quite drummy at times. And so I, um, I would sit in the pew on the first or second row as a teenager, and if the song contained no drums, I would clap. But if the song contained drums, I'd just sit there. And people began to take notice. 
And so teenagers started asking me questions. Why aren't you clapping when there's backbeat? And I said, because I believe backbeat's a sin. And they said, well, where's that in the Bible? And I said, sit down, let me show you. And I was this cocky, arrogant, 17-year-old young man who just thought, I know better than the pastor. Well, word began to spread around the church that I was creating discord, and I was creating discord. And um, I got um, pulled out of class one day, and I got called not into the principal's office. I got called into the pastor's office. And the pastor sat me down, and he was not mean to me. He reproved me. He corrected gently. But he made it abundantly clear that I was either to clap for all the songs, or I was to clap for none of the songs. And I was to keep my mouth shut as far as what I thought as a teenager about the music. And I was to go home and talk to my parents about that, or to come to him about that, but not to run around the church sowing discord. And i got to tell you, while I still to this day disagree with the music in that church at that time, he was 100% right to reprove me. When I was in Bible college, I worked, the, um, I worked in the bus ministry for quite some time. And uh, the bus ministry there is huge. We'd have big days of over 10,000 bus riders on one day. Just on the buses. That's not the driving crowd. Just the buses. On those days, the church's attendance would be north of 20,000 people. And the bus ministry was so large, they, at large, they broke it down into divisions. I was in Division 14, and Brother Ross was my division leader. And so Saturday mornings, we'd get up and we'd go into the auditorium at 9 o'clock in the morning. We'd have a bus meeting with all the college bus workers. And then after about a 30-minute meeting, we'd go and we'd have a division meeting where we'd meet with just the bus captains within that division and the workers with our division leader. And so many of the division leaders wanted to structure that division meeting like a church service. And so we'd sing hymns and there'd be announcements and there would be a uh, special music at times. And then a short challenge from God's word was given. And then about 1030 in the morning, we were sent out into Chicago where we'd be sometimes till eight, nine o'clock at night uh, ministering and trying to convince people to ride the bus the next day. Well, uh, I I was a sophomore that year and I was uh, very involved on my bus route and very involved in in, in the bus ministry, my division. And Brother Ross was taking notice of me. He was desiring to promote me. And then I made one big error. He came to me. He said, hey, Richard, I want you to sing a special in division meeting next Saturday. I said, yes. Sir, I'll be there. I'll do it. And so I'm trying to win over his favor so I could be a bus captain there in the bus ministry. And and he's beginning to take an interest in me. Well, I uh, worked until about two in the morning that Friday night and I got in bed about three in the morning and uh, I woke up and it was 30 minutes past the start of the division meeting. I overslept. And so uh, Brother Ross is an intimidating guy. Just he was a, a, a corporate big wig in his business, and you know he was a get her done, demanding dude. And same way in the bus ministry, sometimes I thought he kind of walked around with a clipboard and took notes of all the things people did wrong, so that he could get up in the next division meeting and just call your name out and rip your face off. That was really his style. That um, that Sunday night, all of the preacher boys were gathered together on a bus. We're riding back from Chicago after dropping the last teenager off. 
And Brother Ross is up there, and I can't tell you he was preaching in the Spirit. He was probably preaching in the flesh. And he's just, hey, you didn't do this, and you didn't do that, and we're dysfunctional, and we're broken. And then he looks at me, and he says, Richard! You were supposed to sing a special yesterday. I can't make you a bus captain if I can't count on you to even sing a special. And I got rebuked hard in front of my peers, in front of about 25 of my peers. Can I tell you something tonight? For years I carried resentment in my heart toward that man. I quit my bus route and I joined a different ministry because I did not like in my flesh being told that I was wrong. I did not like it. Now, each of these times represented at some point in my life a bitter moment for me. A moment where I became bitter. At the least, a bitter taste in my mouth. I hated these reproofs or rebukes. I walked away uh, with blood pressure sky high and my feelings quite hurt. Nobody, nobody naturally enjoys uh, having their character or direction in life challenged. Nobody. We must learn to love reproof. If you're going to be a success in the Christian life, when someone steps up to you toe-to-toe and challenges you on the way you're living, you must learn to love that if you're going to be a success in the Christian life. I'm talking about reproofs from a spouse, reproofs from a parent, reproofs from a church leader, reproofs that come from preaching, reproofs that come from God's Spirit as you go throughout your day, reproofs that come while reading your Bible or praying, reproofs that can even come from a total stranger, reproofs can uh, even be given to us by a hypocrite or a fool, but regardless of the source or the method of delivery, we must learn to love and embrace reproof. We must allow the reproof given to us to refine us, to refine us, to make us better and make us exactly into the person that God wants us to be. Uh, uh, Let's jump in tonight and look at three principal thoughts about uh, out of the book of Proverbs uh, about uh, learning to love reproof. Number one, notice the positives of reproof, the positives of reproof. Let me give you letter A. It can explain and teach. Now, um. Tonight's sermon is going to be less um, in your face than the ones to come. Um, I've done a lot of teaching this year in this series. The sermons to follow are going to be reproof slash rebuke to the church about particular sins that sometimes are sitting in the shadows of our life that none of us know about and other times might be more evident and obvious across the church body. Tonight is going to set the stage to preach those sermons. So we're going to let the Scripture do the preaching for us this evening. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 23. It, 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 it can explain and teach. What does reproof do? Look here. Turn you at my reproof, because I will pour out my Spirit. Now notice that's a little case, uh, or a lowercase s, 
This is Solomon's spirit being put into his son. Okay, I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will make known my words unto you. He's saying, if you will listen to my reproof and change your direction as far as where you're going and where you need to go, then what will happen is that these reproofs will teach you. They will instruct you. Let her be notice. It can bring honor. It can bring honor. Turn over to Proverbs 13, verse 18. We're going to go all over the book of Proverbs tonight, from the, the front to the middle, the back to back to the middle, back to the front. And so uh, keep that book open and be ready to turn. Proverbs 13, verse 18. It says here, Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuseth instruction. But he that regardeth reproof shall be honored. I love when the Bible makes a definitive, direct statement of promise. If you can learn to regard reproof, that word regard means to enjoy, to embrace, to love. You sign off a letter of kind regards, kind greetings. This is a term of endearment of sorts. If you can learn to regard reproof, the Bible doesn't say you might be honored or you could be honored. It says you shall be honored. What does, uh, what does uh, heeding to reproof do, loving reproof do? It brings honor into your life. It causes others to respect you, to honor you. Let her see, notice, it can make one prudent. It can make one prudent. Look at Proverbs 15, verse 5. A fool despiseth his father's instruction. But he that regardeth reproof is prudent. It doesn't say they'll become prudent. It says that they are prudent or that that man is, man or woman is prudent. What does that word prudent mean? A lot of people hear the word prudent and they think of the word prude. All right. It, it doesn't mean the same thing. Um, I guess prude would be a negative way of saying the same thing. But being prudent is a very good thing. That word prudent means cautious. Guarded, measured. Cautious, guarded, measured. I think Proverbs 22.3 maybe says what prudent means the best. It describes a prudent man. It says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. A prudent man, what's he doing? What's a prudent man doing? He's looking, or she, he or she, looking down the way, and saying, if I go down this path, this evil is going to happen to me or people I love. I'm going to hide myself from that path. And if the evil does come at me out of my control, it's going to pass on and I'm not going to be punished. The simple, they're going to move down that path because at the moment, that's what feels good. At the moment, that's what seems right by their flesh. And they pass on. And they're punished. So that word prudent means to be cautious, to be guarded, to be foresightful, to be measured. Learning to and making adjustments to one's life based on biblical proof, a reproof makes one prudent. It ought to be that you're considering a decision and you read a passage of the Bible and it points you in a different direction. Instead of being oinery and stubborn and saying, I'm going to move on forward anyway, you say, no, God, you're moving me this direction. I'm going to move this direction instead because I can see the foresight and the wisdom and the protection from that. Letter D, it can provide wisdom. It can 
provide wisdom. Look at Proverbs 17, verse 10. The Bible says there, A reproof entereth more into a wise man than in a hundred stripes into a fool. Uh, Now, we'll look at the second half of that verse later. But a reproof entereth more into a wise man. Turn over to Proverbs 19, verse 25. Should just be a page away or so. I love this verse. Smite a scorner, and the simple uh, simple will beware. And reprove one that hath understanding, and he will understand knowledge. So if you learn to love reproof, regardless of where that reproof is coming from, it's going to take the knowledge that you have, and it's going to up it. It's going to take the understanding that you have and convert that understanding into wisdom. What if you could take a bunch of uh, 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 grains of rice that you have at home and convert each one of them into a gold coin? Now, take the worthless understanding that you have and let reproof hit it, and God changes that understanding into wisdom, into, into knowledge or wisdom. So what does reproof do? It provides wisdom. Number one, we see the positives of reproof. Let's look at number two, the pushback on reproof. The pushback. Turn back over to Proverbs chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 8. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Now, that doesn't say that we shouldn't ever reprove a scorner. Other places in Proverbs tells us to do it. What this is saying is if you reprove a scorner, he's going to hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love thee. Let me give you three reasons here, an A, B, and a C, as to where the pushback on reproof comes. Can we just all be honest tonight? Nobody here likes to be told they're wrong. Nobody. Nobody likes to be called in and said, this area in your life is wrong. Nobody likes that, me included. And there's a reason why we push back when we're told we're wrong. And to get to the place where we embrace reproof, that takes some character growth. Let me give you an A, B, and C. Letter A, our sin nature. Our sin nature. Turn to Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15. The Bible says there, it says the rod and reproof, what does it do? It give wisdom. They give wisdom. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Now, this isn't a parenting sermon, but um, a parenting example provides the evidence as to why we don't like being told that we're wrong. What does a child need to get on the right path in life? He needs, he needs the rod or the paddle. And he needs reproof. He needs to be told over and over again, stop doing that. That's wrong. And then when they don't listen, whack, whack, whack. Now, again, not whack, whack, whack out of anger. And not whack, whack, whack to leave markings and bruises on the child's uh, 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 posterior. But we, we need to remind them through that correction, that rod, and through that reproof, that, hey, the way that you're automatically bent 
to go toward is wrong. I have learned that if children are not punished appropriately when they're little, that when they become adults, because the parents didn't do their job, God has to do it for them. That's not fun. You're better off, you're better off being paddled at two when you'll forget about it than at 22 when it will hurt you by, God does it, and trust me, He might leave a mark. <laughs> a different kind of mark. The point here is that children are born pointed towards sin. Um, I've said this before. I didn't have to teach my children how to lie. I didn't have to teach them how to disobey. I didn't have to teach them how to cry. I was there when both of my children were born. They both came out of the womb screaming for food. They didn't ask politely for it. They screamed for it. And they screamed because they were cold. And uh, I can remember uh, my children arching their back at a young age. And you hold them in your arms, they don't want you to hold them in their arms. So they arch that back. I can remember uh, my son and my daughter both on their own, me telling them to do something, something, and them looking at me and saying, No! That's their nature. Someone tells you, corrects you, and your nature is to say, No! Don't tell me what to do. I don't want to hear your reproof. God's Word points out an area in your life that's wrong, and you fight, you fire back, No! Why? It's your sin nature. Let her be, notice, our selfish lifestyle. Our selfish lifestyle. Look at Proverbs chapter 5, verse 12. Proverbs five twelve. Quick, 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 get there. Got a lot more uh, to cover here. And say, how have I hated instruction and my father, I mean, my heart despised reproof. Look at that again. How have I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof. I challenge you to go back and read the rest of chapter 5 prior to this later, but I'll just quickly uh, uh, summarize it for you. Chapter 5 goes into detail talking about a young man who followed a prodigal lifestyle. He fell in love with, uh, 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 a, strange, with a strange woman. If you know your Bible, you know what that means. He fell in love with a strange woman. He wasted all of his money on the party life. Uh, he found himself enslaved to a stranger in order to pay off his debts. And bitterly in this state, as a slave to a stranger, in verse 12, he is reviewing where his life went off the rails. He sees that it all went wrong when he decided to, 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 to hate, uh, uh, to hate reproof and, uh, to hate, uh, rebuke and to push back on reproof. He had been told, hey, you need to stop that. And he said, oh, how I hated reproof. I despised it. I, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And because I hated reproof, now I, <coughs> excuse me, now I have given up my purity to a strange woman and I have wasted my substance on the party life and I have become a slave to a stranger. Where did it go off the rails for this guy in Proverbs 5? It went off the rails when he chose his selfish lifestyle instead of choosing to listen to someone gently trying to correct him. Letter C, we see our streak of stubbornness. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 29. It 
Some of you here have your mind so set up on how you want to live and where you're going to go and how you're going to do it. It's my mind's made up. Don't bother with me. Don't, don't bother me with the facts. And I'm entrenched in this behavior and I'm never going to quit. And I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what the preacher says. I don't care what the spirit of God inside of me says. I don't care how God moves in my life and brings circumstance and pain and hurt. I'm not changing. And you know why? It's because you're stubborn. Look at 29.1. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. God brings reproof after reproof after reproof after reproof into your life. And what do you do? You just harden your neck. You say, I'm not changing. You know what that is? That's stubbornness. That's a child who his father says, look at me. And he puts his head down like this. And the dad says, look at me. And he just keeps his head down. And the dad places his finger under the chin and forces the head around. And that young man hardens his neck and says, I'm not going to look at you. And God, through his own way, in his own ways, and he has many ways of doing it, is saying, hey, you keep going that direction, you're going to ruin your life. And I'm sending uh, rebuke and reproof into your life. And some of us here, we harden our neck and we look away and we won't ever respond to an altar call. We won't ever, ever give in to the Spirit's leading. And we harden our neck. And the Bible says you're going to be destroyed. And that without remedy. Meaning that without any solution. There's going to be no solution to your destruction, the pushback, the pushback on reproof. It is our nature when we're corrected to say, I don't want to hear what you or the source of the correction has to say. Number one, the positives of reproof. Number two, the pushback on reproof. Number three, notice the path of the reproved, the path of the reproved. We're going to look at two different paths that are traveled by those that are reproved. Letter A, notice the path of the rebel. The path of the rebel. Oh, the Bible has much to say about those who will not listen to reproof. Solomon greatly warned his son that when corrective words come your way, when correction is handed to you, you must embrace it. You must learn to love it. You must learn to appreciate it. And if you choose the other way, oh my goodness, what you have in front of you, you are not going to like. Notice first his disdain for reproof. Speaking of the rebel, his disdain for the reproof. Look down at uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 30. Proverbs one thirty. It says there, they would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Hey, the rebel doesn't want to be told that they're wrong. They despise. They despise the correction. Look at chapter 5, verse 12. We were just here a minute ago, but let's look at it again in that context and say, how have I hated instruction in my heart, despised reproof? I can't think of too many things that I absolutely despise, despise. I I think that might even carry a stronger connotation than hate that you loathe, you despise it. There's a great disdain there. There's an animosity toward it. And the rebel, when he is told or she is told that he or she is wrong, there is the despising, the disdain toward reproof. Turn over one more, Proverbs 15, verse 5. Look at chapter 15, verse 5. Look at 
God does not have Solomon mince words here. He goes straight for the jugular in, in this verse. A fool despiseth his father's instruction. But he that regardeth reproof is, is prudent. Hey, the fool despises not necessarily his father, although we'll get to that in a minute. He despises the correction of his father, the correction of the person that's put in charge of leading him. He despises the words that come out of his mouth, the instruction, the the teachings, the, hey, this is how you're to live. Hey, warning flag, don't go that way in life. You're going to get hurt. Hey, don't do that. The fool looks at that and says, I can't stand what you're telling me. His disdain for reproof. Next notice, he deceives others. He deceives others. Look at Proverbs chapter 10 and verse number 17. This is an interesting verse here. It says, he is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuseth reproof Aerith. Now, I did some studying into this verse, and uh, there's much, much more meaning behind that word aerith than just that the uh, one rejecting the reproof himself errs. The meaning behind that word aerith uh, means that he leads others to err. He leads others to err. So, by his own refusing of reproof, he causes others to err. He causes others to go the wrong way. I said it, I opened my sermon this morning with this statement, no man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. And I'm telling you here this morning that there are people around you that are watching you. You say, oh, nobody's watching me. Trust me, people are watching you. And when you hear correction and you don't heed to it, you thumb your nose at it, whether you're polite about it or not, there are people that are watching you and it will adversely affect them. I promise you it will. You're a dad here tonight and you hear a sermon preached on a Sunday morning or Sunday night and, and, and your children know that the pastor's got your number and you walk out and you refuse to change. Hey, you're telling your children that you really don't care about reproof. I promise you, you're leading those children to err. You're leading those grandchildren to err. You're leading those uh, uh, people that watch you in a way that's bad. You're saying to them, my way of life, my desire to live, the direction I'm going is way more important than what that Bible says about the path I ought to be on. Not only do they have disdain toward reproof, they deceive others. Notice next that he disparages the wise. He disparages the wise or he criticizes or condemns. That's what that word disparage means. It means to criticize or condemn. He disparages the wise. Look at back at Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 8. It says, reprove not a scorner, lest he hate Thee. Yes, he hates your words, but that scorner also hates the messenger, the wise man that's trying to help him and correct him. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. One of the least favorite parts about being a, a person, an agent of righteousness, someone who stands up for the truth, is no matter how kind my disposition is about standing up for the truth, there are people that act in a foolish way. The Bible calls them fools because they're given instruction and they not only hate the instruction, they end up hating the messenger that gives the instruction. And I got to tell you, it's no fun being hated. It's no fun. But I must stand on the truth. I must stand in the way and say, hey, 
That direction that you're going is wrong. And I don't tell you that to hurt your feelings. I tell you that because I want you not to uh, ruin your life. I want to get you on the right path so that you can go in the direction where God wants to take care of you. But someone who is going down the path of the rebel, yes, they hate reproof. They uh, deceive others, but they also hate, they despise, they disparage, they condemn, they criticize the wise. Let me just get real practical tonight. When uh, you hear a sermon preached uh, uh, about something or you get called into the boss's office at work or you get corrected maybe by another church member uh, uh, and they're on biblical grounds to do so and their spirit's right about it and you walk away and say, I can't believe such and such. Felt like they had the nerve to talk to me that way. And you walk around criticizing or condemning them. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. You're going down the path of the rebel. You're going down the path of the rebel. You ought to look at someone who is trying to correct you and you ought to feel a great warmth in your heart toward that person because they took the time to care for you. Next notice is that he did, next notice he despises his own soul. He despises his own soul. Look at Proverbs 15 verse 32. It says there, he that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. You know what this is? This is saying, I love my flesh more than I love my own soul. And I'm willing to sacrifice my soul in order to appease my flesh. I'm willing to let what relationship I have as a Christian uh, fall to pots and ruin so that my flesh can feel good. For the lost man, it's saying, I would rather uh, live in sin and go the wrong way than have my soul be saved from hell. That's why 1 Corinthians 5 tells us about fornicators. It tells us that we are to deliver their flesh to the devil so that their soul can be saved. Because they don't care about their soul. They're, they're, they're busy fulfilling the lust of the flesh. They hate their own soul. Next notice that about the path of the rebel, he destroys himself. Let me take you to a few verses on this one. Turn back to chapter, hold your place there. Are you, where are you right now? You're in 15? Okay, turn over to chapter 12, verse 1. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Bible says there, Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. Again, Solomon doesn't mince words. You know what that word brutish means? It's a word a lot of you parents don't want your kids to say. It means stupid. God calls you stupid if you hate reproof. That's not my word. That's God's word. Now, he uses a little bit more elegant of a word than that by using the word brutish. But God says that if you hate instruction, you hate reproof, you are brutish. You are stupid. You're gonna, why? Because you are literally destroying yourself. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. And he that hateth reproof shall die. 
not may die, not could die, shall die. He that hateth reproof shall die. You are going to destroy yourself. This is the guy, and I want you to get this visual, okay? This is the guy standing there on, the, uh, on, a, on a road, it's pouring rain, and, 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 the, and, the, and the flood of the river has washed the bridge out. This is the guy standing there doing this, saying, Hey, oh, hey, don't go any farther. You're going to die. And the person there snarls and laughs and says, Ha! Who does he think he is telling me what to do? If I want to drive down this road, I have every right to drive down this road. Right off the edge of the bridge, and whoop, in the river they go. It really is no different. It may take you longer to get to the bridge itself, but I promise you, I promise you, the bridge is out ahead. And you will die. You will die in your relationships. You will die in your finances. You will die in your health. You will die in, 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 in every single way you can imagine. And then eventually, it will take your life. If you don't learn to listen to reproof. One more, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 1. And then we'll move on to letter B and be done with the sermon. Letter B. Or rather, Proverbs 29, 1 says this. It says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Again, Solomon's very clear to his son. If you're not going to listen to reproof, you're not going to learn to embrace it and to love it, then um, you're going to end up being destroyed because of it. Let's move on to letter B here. Notice the path of the righteous. So we looked at the path of the rebel. Let's look at the path of the righteous. Notice first, his ear is tuned to it. His ear is tuned to it. Turn over to Proverbs 15, verse 31. My favorite verse is coming up on this topic. Proverbs 15, 1. The ear that heareth the reproof of life abideth among the wise. You know what that means? That means that the righteous man has set his ear to listen for any reproof he can get, she can get. The righteous man wants to be told he's wrong. Wants to be told he's out of the way. Wants to be more honed in and perfected. He has his ear tuned to it. And the second he hears it, regardless of the source... He nods his head and says, thank you, I can now live my life in a way that's better for God. His ears tuned to it. He's locked in. He's laser focused. And when reproof is brought his way, he, he, he heareth the reproof and he abideth among the wise. He's there constantly searching and looking for it. When you read your Bible, and I hope you read your Bible, when you read your Bible, do you do it because it's a religious ritual? Do you open, read a couple chapters and close it? Maybe you have an hour daily bread or, or maybe you bought one of the devotionals out of the bookstore and you, 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 you read it and, and as long as it fits in line with where you're already doing what's right for God, you go, oh yeah, I like that part. But then when it, there's a portion of it there and you're like, well, I don't really like that part and you just kind of push that to the side. Um, you, your spirit may not be bad about rejecting reproof, but it doesn't matter. Rejecting reproof all has the same effect. You need to learn to tune your ear to it. Your prayer ought to be, Spirit of the living God, show me where I can be more like Jesus. And when you show me, I'm going to make every effort 
to do that. Next notice, he expresses gratitude for it. And here's my favorite verse. Psalm 141, verse 5. Psalm 141, verse 5. Please, 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 if you haven't been turning everywhere else, please, everybody, turn to Psalm 141, verse 5. Take the time to turn over there. I would underline this verse. I am in the middle of memorizing this verse. This verse is powerful. Psalm 141, verse 5. Let the righteous smite me. You know what that is? That's rebuke. Let the righteous smite me. Hey, hit me over the head with the truth. Hit me hard. I want it. Bring it. Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. Hey, you punch me with the truth. I'm going to look at you and say, that was very kind of you. Thank you. And let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil. Think about that sermon I preached a few uh, months back about the oil of the Holy Spirit being poured over us. It shall be an excellent oil which shall not break my head for yet my prayer shall also be in their calamities. He's saying here, I want the righteous man to hit me. Take your best shot. If the boss were to call you into your office, into his office tomorrow and ball you out, and maybe only about 30% of what he said was true, would you walk out and say, I can't believe he had the nerve to talk to me that way? Or would you walk out and say, you know, he pointed out some things i got to get better. Let the righteous smite me. It shall be his kindness. He said there in Psalm 141, verse 5, he said, Let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil. You know what he says? He says, Thank you. That's why the Bible says that the, 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 the wounds, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know what? If, if you really love somebody and you see something wrong in their life, you know what you do? In the spirit of meekness, Galatians 6, you pull them to the side and you say, hey, I've noticed you're struggling in this area in your life and I'm not trying to condemn you. I want to help you. And hey, the way you're going, the path you're traveling down, that's going to end in pain and hurt. And hey, why don't you come over here and why don't you walk down the right path? And uh, when someone does that to you, you look at that and say, that wounded my spirit. But you're a friend. It takes a friend to do that. I heard a sermon preaching when I was a teenager entitled, I Tell on My Friends. I Tell on My Friends. Many of the students went back to their lockers and they hung a sign in their locker that said, I Tell on My Friends. Because the thrust of it was just that. Faithful the wounds of a friend. I love my friends. And I don't want to see their character flaws end up ruining their lives someday. So I'm going to tell on them. I'm going to approach them first about it. And if they push back on the approach, I'm going to tell on them. I'm going to expose it. I'm going to shine a light on the problem so that they can get the help they need. But what does an enemy do? They look the other way at a character flaw. Here he says, I, I love to be reproved. I view it as Excellent oil. I view it as an act of kindness. Bring the reproof. Bring the rebuke. Going back to those uh, uh, illustrations at the beginning of the sermon. You know, I was wrong to leave my group and ride that roller coaster. I deserve to be rebuked. You know what I was taught through that rebuke? That I need to follow instruction. Later, I was corrected for calling Brother Montoro, now Pastor Montoro, by the wrong title. 
You say, well, what did you learn out of that? I learned that when there is a system of respect in place, I'm to follow that system to the letter of the law because to that person, that's important. I uh, was corrected for uh, clapping for certain songs and then not clapping during other songs and voicing my opinion around the church. And you know what? Uh, I was brought in and I was chided over that. Well, what did I learn? I learned that God hates it when we sow discord among the brethren. I'm thankful for those lessons. Now, at the time, my blood pressure shot up sky high. My hands had blood rushed to them. My heart raised. My heart wanted to criticize and complain. Those are good teaching moments in my life. I got bawled out about oversleeping that, um, uh, that, uh, 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 that assignment, to sing that special. And i got to tell you, what that taught me that day was when you give your word to be somewhere, it doesn't matter what the extenuating circumstances are. You are to be there. You are to be there. Let me give you two more here quickly. It expands his wisdom. Speaking of the righteous, it expands his wisdom. Uh, you're in Psalm uh, uh, 14, 141.5. Turn back over to Proverbs 19. Uh, just two more verses here. Uh, Proverbs 19, verse 25. I'm almost done. I know I've gone longer than usual. I hope the sermon tonight has been a help to you. Look here. Proverbs 19.25 says, Smite a scorner, and the simple will beware. And reprove one that hath understanding, and he will understand knowledge. It expands his wisdom. You know, the goal in life is to have as much godly wisdom as you can get. So that you can both lead yourself and lead those that follow you in life. How do you get that? Well, when reproof is brought your way, learn to embrace it. It it will expand your wisdom. Lastly, notice it enhances his countenance. Uh, Maybe my second favorite verse. Turn over to Proverbs 25, verse 12. Before I read the verse... At uh, college, we would go uh, on uh, dates, and uh, my wife and I, uh, back then we were just dating, and I remember the very first time I took her to a formal event. It was a Valentine banquet, and she went out and rented a formal. And I remember she came out that night, she had her hair done up, uh, up in a bun, and she had uh, beautiful earrings on. And I remember seeing her, and my heart just literally melted in my shoes. Look at Proverbs twenty-five, twelve. As an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. You know what it does if you have someone in your life who's willing to challenge you and tell you how you need to improve? You're willing to put that person on you like a woman would decorate herself with a beautiful set of earrings? It enhances your countenance. You know what employers like? Employers like employees that can take correction in stride and not walk around and sulk. Years ago, myself and another assistant pastor while working under Pastor King, we were both called in the office. The only time Pastor King ever got on me real hard, only once, all the years I worked for him. I probably deserved it more than that, but he only got on me once. Myself and this other assistant pastor got called in. We were both guilty of doing the same thing. We weren't doing it together, but we were both guilty of making the same mistake. And he called us into his office, and he, he walked the line between reproof and rebuke. Walked the line. I'm not going to say he rebuked me, but he almost did. And the other assistant pastor as well. We walked out of the office that day, and um, I, uh, 
I bowed my head and said, Lord, my spirit is not right. Forgive me for having the wrong spirit. He was right to correct me. I was in the wrong with what I was doing. The other assistant pastor, for the next three days, walked around sulking. I can't believe it. Rejected the reproof. Rejected the reproof. Now, I've messed up plenty of times. I did it right that time. There have been other times where I didn't handle it right in my life. Tonight, the question is this. Do you love reproof? If you're honest with yourself, when you walked in tonight, you probably didn't. But can we all see tonight the importance of learning to love reproof? Let's have our heads bowed nice close tonight. Lord, I ask that you'd help us to embrace reproof. There are three paths that we will choose to take with reproof moving forward. We will either embrace it patiently, we'll reject it passionately, or we'll ignore it uh, uh, with a, a spirit of aloofness. And so, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't come to church and hear reproof and, and, and walk with you and hear reproof and just ignore it. I pray that we wouldn't reject it, but, Lord, that we would embrace it. We would get to know it. We would hold to it. We would be thankful for it. And, Lord, in the weeks to come, as reproof-type sermons are preached, God, may we be thankful for your word and for the truth, and may, you, may we allow it to change our hearts and our lives. I pray tonight would be an attitude adjustment for all of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. The altar's open. How about it tonight, Christian? Do you need to tell God that I need an attitude adjustment about reproof? Do you need God to lead you and show you that reproof is a good thing?